But tonight I want to talk to you about the power of prayer in a believer's life. Some people get intimidated by the subject of prayer because they hear somebody pray in church and they go, wow, I can't pray like that. And, you know, you can't be intimidated by the way somebody else prays because prayer is just communication. It's heartfelt communication from you to the Lord. You know, and some people feel that, you know, well, I can't pray as good as sister so-and-so. And, you know, it, it we're not comparing here. It's like the difference between who can preach better. You know, it's we've all got our areas where we're stronger at. So in praying, don't be intimidated by somebody else and say, wow, I wish I could pray like them. No, just learn prayer principles. Because nobody can teach you how to pray, just like nobody can teach you how to communicate. You can learn principles from people and and things from people, but nobody can actually teach you how to pray. Does everybody understand that? You have to pray just like communication. I communicate differently than other people do because we all have our different personalities. So... We need prayer principles, and there's communication principles, but not everybody does it exactly the same way. So don't be intimidated by somebody else's expression and say, well, I can't pray. You know, some people don't want to pray for themselves. They feel, well, if I pray for myself, I'm not going to pray as good as, you know, this person who prays over there. The biggest person that you can help is yourself. You've got to know how to pray for yourself. And it's not selfish, it's just common sense, because prayer is communication with God. It's like if you have a husband and you never talk to him, if I never talk to Clarence, and what kind of relationship would that be? And it's the same with God our Father. If you've never talked to God, what kind of relationship do you have? See, we've made prayer sometimes such a subject When we call a prayer meeting at church, very few show up because sometimes they're just intimidated or they're they're afraid that, well, if I pray wrong, then somebody's going to judge me. Or if I don't pray exactly like somebody else, then, you know, God's not going to hear me. And so we can't be like that. Amen. We have to pray the way we're supposed to pray. And that's the way God called us to pray with our different personalities. In James 2.23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. It makes me smile for the last six weeks when our Sunday school teacher is saying exactly the same thing. It's like she was talking this morning about being a friend of God. And I said, was she studying with me this week? But no, that's how the Holy Spirit works is that what's said in Sunday school matches up with what's said in the Sunday morning service and then what's said in the evening service. Because it's the same Holy Spirit trying to get across to us a message in many different ways. Amen? The disciples asked Jesus how to pray, and he said, pray the Our Father, because it covers every area. But we're not going to do that. You just put that in Luke 11 and Matthew 6. If you're taking notes, go back and look. I'm telling you, these chapters, I had a hard time pulling stuff out. But just to keep it focused and expedient, just take notes on it and just go back later. 
There's four levels of friendship. I was looking out the window when we were in the prayer room, and I was watching Sassy. I love to, it's like one of these pastimes. I don't need cable. I've got a horse across the street that I can watch, and she does some funny things. You don't think horses have a personality, but they do. And once I watched Sassy, there was a bike rider that went down the street, and Sassy just kind of cavorted along with the bike rider. You know, it was like she was running a race. So I was watching her tonight, and I thought, wow, you know, I haven't been over for a while. We were putting the sign up out there, and if Sassy hears me outside, she'll come running over to the fence because I always bring her carrots. And we were just out there measuring the sign a couple weeks ago, and Clarence said, look over there. And there Sassy must have heard us because she was over at the fence looking over. And I thought, oh, my, she's seen me now. So when I see her, if I go in the back of the church and I'm really quiet, of course, Clarence, if he's with me, he's mischievous, and he always whistles and calls her so she comes over. So I have to run all the way back through the secret passage over to the house, cut the carrots up really quick, run back, and get sassy. And then if I forget the mint, I've got to run back to the house and get the mint. One day I went over with nothing, and she was not impressed with me. It's like, where's my carrots? No mints. You know, and some days she's really lovely, and she puts her head on my shoulder, and one day she bit me. Not just by, she was just nibbling, you know, but she bit me, and it's like, nah, that hurts. You know, you don't do that with people. And now I'll say, bye, sassy, and she just looks and walks away, and she understands the word bye. But some of us are friends when we need something. And see, Sassy comes to running to the fence because she knows I have something for her. Sometimes we treat God like that. The only time we ever go to God is when we need something. And we're not really true friends of God, but we're always asking God for something. And it's like Sassy. You know, she does not want to see me unless I have carrots and a mint for her. But... You know, we do God like that, too. And that's what the Lord reminded me when I was looking out at her. Because I sure do love that horse. And, you know, I just talk to her. Some days she does hang out with me for a little bit. And other times, you know, she just eats and, and leaves. But, you know, when we were born the first time, we were enemies of God. And the Bible says that. After we were born again, the separation between us and God was eradicated by the blood of Jesus. In Romans 5, 8 through 10, it says, But God showed his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. In the New Living Translation Romans 5.10 says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So since the friendship, we're friends with God. If you're born again, you you have the invitation to become his friend. Now, how much of a friend you are depends on you, not on God. Because God's hand is stretched out all the time, and he wants to be our very closest, most intimate friend. But that's up to you. It's not up to it's not up to your husband, your wife, your kids. It's up to you how close you want to be with God. So
So there's four degrees of relationship, and here's the four. I'm going to give you four, and then I'm going to go into them in detail. All right, first of all, we're strangers. Casual acquaintances is number two. Friends, and then number four, best friends, close friends, or intimate friends. That's kind of in a, a group. And you can get, like, intimate friends or close friends, and that's kind of like you can maybe go, all right, well, that's four and five, but we're going to kind of group it all into number four. So no, the first one is strangers. Do you know you can be a stranger to God even after you get born again? Because if you make a profession of faith and you never grow or do anything, he says, if you continue in my word. And one of these lessons we talked about continuing, that we have to be a disciple, we have to continue. But you can, be, you can continue to be a stranger to God. Because you never read your Bible, you never pray, you go to church when you feel like it, you're really not that hooked into it. There's really no change in your life. And we've used this scripture a lot. In Matthew it says, Not any, everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So that scripture where it says, Lord, Lord, and he says, Depart from me, I never knew you. That's the sorriest scripture in the Bible. And you think about all the people who have lived their lives thinking they were okay, thinking they made that jump from death to life, thinking that they're saved and they're not saved. And to hear that, to, to it, you know, Christian ministers, people that have sat in pew time after time, year after year, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, to think that you would sit all that time and have God say, depart from me. I never knew you. So what does that make you that made you a stranger? Amen. The second one, casual acquaintance. People that you know by appearance only. You know, you see them in church, you wave to them, but you don't really know them. Those are casual acquaintances. Well, we can become casual acquaintances with God. You know, we're casual acquaintances are one that pray for their food every day. You know, and pray, now I lay me down to sleep. But they never get past that. The, the story with that the, the, in the Bible would be the ten virgins. All ten were saved, but only five were ready to meet the Lord because only five were filled with the Holy Ghost. So those are casual acquaintances. And see, this all relates to prayer because prayer is what's going to make the difference in what your relationship is with the Lord. So now we get friend. As we begin to know people better, they become friends. You know, when you first meet somebody and you don't know them, you don't know anything about them, then as you get to know them, you become friends with them. So that's the third one. A definition of friend is an associate, companion, a brother. Matthew 11:18 to 19 says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deed. If Jesus couldn't win with the Pharisees, we can't win with the Pharisees either. No matter what you do, you're going to be wrong. It doesn't matter if you preach the most perfect message a Pharisee is going to hate it, and they're going to walk out, and they're going to twist your words, and they're going to say something that you never said. So we have it on tape, so we can go back. 
But Jesus couldn't please the Pharisees, could he? You know, you know, he's a friend, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Oh, my gosh. Just imagine that. So those are friends. Best friend, close friend, intimate friend is the fourth category. Abraham was called a friend of God. He was called an intimate friend of God. How do we progress through these steps? By spending time. Naturally. Think of it naturally. You know, for a while, Renee and I were walking out here, and we had some pretty good laughs, didn't we? (laughs) And we've gotten to know some of you other. We went, Sherry and I went on vacation. That was fun. It was something that, you know, you get to know people if you spend time with them. You get to know people. And that's how we get to know God, by prayer and fellowship with him, by learning about him, by spending time with him, by learning what he likes and what he doesn't like, by by being quiet in his presence. That's what prayer is, just communication. It's not anything to be intimidated over, to think, you know, I can't do that. You know, I can't pray for a long time. Well, you could talk to your friend for an hour and a half on the phone. Surely, you know, you can pray for a little bit. But we get so, I think we get freaked out because we can't see God. We have to, by faith, communicate with him. We have to say that this word is the whole, word, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So prayer is communication with God through the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. God intends to answer our prayer every time, and we can learn how to pray effectively. But it's a privilege because we can go into the throne room of grace at any time and expect God to answer. Any time we can go in the throne room. It's not like we have to set up an appointment. God's never too busy. If all of us decided right now to pray, God would be able to hear every one of our prayers. I just think about how amazing God is when you start thinking about everything that he can do all at once. And he doesn't get confused. He doesn't get distracted. It's not like he's listening to you over there and, you know, and it's like, oh, man, you know, it's just too many details. I can't. No, no. He listens to everything. He doesn't care if you talk a lot. He listens. And isn't that great? God just listens. He meets us where we're at. Or if we don't talk at all, he likes that, too. And sometimes if I get into my prayer closet, I don't say anything. I just sit there and just kind of close my eyes and just meditate and think about how good God is. And then it will bring things back to my remembrance. So prayer is two-way, two-way communication. Don't do all the talking. Learn to listen in prayer, too. You know, don't just ask for everything and then go, in Jesus' name, amen, get up and walk away and then say, well, God never answers my prayer. It's like somebody who talks a lot and they never give anybody else time to answer. You know, you want a solution, you need to sit and be quiet and listen quietly. Luke 18.1 says, men ought to pray and not faint. According to Jimmy Swaggart's expository Bible, it says, without a proper prayer life, faith cannot be truly exercised, irrespective to how much it is claimed, and not to faint. Don't lose heart, believe, and keep praying. Keep praying. Keep asking God. Keep finding scriptures. Keep digging. The word of God is so rich, we never know everything about anything. We're always learning about different things. God's desire is for us to enjoy prayer time. 
not to think of it as a drudgery. Don't think of prayer as a drudgery. If you think of it like that, maybe you need to go back and consider your salvation. Maybe there's something hindering and blocking it. If you think that, you know, David said, it created me a clean heart. And take not your Holy Spirit away from me. But see, there was sin. There was something blocking him. So he couldn't hear from God. And he was miserable. If you're miserable and you have a miserable prayer life, maybe you need to go back and check up yourself. God's desire. All right, too too many distractions in prayer. You know, I, I can't pray in front of a computer screen. I have to walk away. I can't pray with my phone because inevitably if I sit down to pray and I have my phone, you know, ding, ding. And if it's right there, I got to I got to look. You know, I'm always telling Clarence just because it dings doesn't mean you have to look right away. But I'm just as bad if I'm in a prayer room and it goes ding and it's like, uh. so a lot of times because we're using my phone. Uh, For Facebook Live, I put it on Do Not Disturb, and I was telling Cindy this morning, don't be offended if I don't answer your phone call right away. A lot of times I forget that I put it on Do Not Disturb. I'll go for days because I don't get a whole lot of phone calls. So if I don't don't answer you right away, it's because it's on Do Not Disturb, and I'm not paying attention to it because I put my phone away because I've decided I'm not going to let my phone rule my life. So the phone may be somewhere else for like hours or days, and I won't even think about it. So anyways, distractions, unbelief, and failure to set a regular prayer time. You need a regular prayer time. You need a regular prayer time. It doesn't matter when. It's whatever works for you. Mine happens to be right when I get up in the morning because once... My day gets rolling. It's like I'm not going to take the time because I'm I'm task-oriented. Once I get going, I'm not going to just sit and pray. So I've got to pray in the morning. Now I'll pray during the day. I'll pray praying in tongues or walk around praying or sit and pray for a couple of minutes. But once my day gets going, I'm done. And I want to have that prayer time in the morning so I can start studying. Now studying is different I'll study in the morning. Sometimes I'll study during the day, but most of the time I like it in the morning because there's no distractions. But that may not work for you. You may Clarence likes to pray, to study and pray anytime. You know, he can do it at night. I'm too tired at night. I want to sleep at night. I don't want to read the Bible and pray. It's very difficult for me to wake up in the middle of the night at the phone. My, once my daughter needed me, it was a desperate situation and it, the phone rings like four times and then it would go to answering machine. And she must have called 20 times before I finally heard the phone enough to answer the phone. I don't, I sleep too soundly for that. I just don't, I don't wake up. The Holy Ghost has got to wake me up. And even if God does wake me up, I'm going to go back to sleep because I just, I'm not one to get up in the middle of the night. So set your regular time to pray and then keep that appointment. If your minds are mentally busy, it's a great hindrance to prayer. If your mind is always going, it's a great hindrance. That's why I recommend when you sit down in your prayer time, pray in the Spirit until you just kind of settle yourself. Or sing a praise song. Do something that works for you just to settle your mind. Unbelief can cause a door to be opened that allows the devil to bombard bombard your mind with 
doubts and mistrust in God's word. You know, if you've got a pressing problem, like something, if you've got a physical ailment or a family problem, financial problem, some kind of a problem, sometimes that tends to crowd in and say, well, what if? What if that doesn't happen? And then your mind is on this little rabbit trail and you get start to get an unbelief and then you get up there and, you know, so have you ever just prayed and thought, why did I even come here? Because you can't shut your distractions off and shut your mind off. So unbelief is a problem. If that starts to happen to you, just start taking authority over it. Go back to praying in the Spirit until you can order your mind. Praying in the Spirit puts things in order. If you get things like, let's say you've got a big task to do, like you've got to clean something or put something in order, I always pray in the Spirit first because I know God's going to order it then. Anything big, I always pray. I'll be praying in the Spirit because I know while I'm praying, God's setting it in order. And then it doesn't seem like such a big task anymore because I've prayed and it's set in order. Now I've just got to walk in that order because now I can hear what the Lord is saying and he's showing me how to do something. So just pray in the Spirit if you're overwhelmed. If you get overwhelmed with something, just start praying in the Spirit. You know, it's amazing what the Lord will do for you if you just take that step out and start praying in the Spirit. And then all of a sudden a big problem is is now it's the right size again. Because our minds can blow things up. You ever had your mind blow up something to the degree that you thought you were going to lose your mind because it looked so big? And then you prayed. And you prayed in the Spirit. And as you're praying, it's almost like God puts a, a pin in that and it starts to deflate and it starts to look and then you say okay I can do this step by step yeah I can do that now because you've showed me Lord you've made something big and you've taken it and you've chunked it down so now I can do it so pray in the spirit if you're mentally busy too many people rely on favorite Bible teachers they rely on your daily devotional you know and say well that's my prayer time That's fine for supplement, but try taking a handful of vitamins and saying, okay, that's my food for the day. It doesn't work, does it? I bet you get hungry if you take a handful of vitamins and say, okay, that's my food. That's where I got my nourishment from. It's the same with Bible teachers. Anytime you think that, you know, your daily devotional written by somebody else is a good substitute for the Bible, it's not a good substitute. It's a vitamin. It's just something that's going to supplement and help you to to read the Bible or give you some insight to something. But it's not the same as reading a Bible. And see, sometimes we get pressed for time, so we think, well, I'm just going to read that devotional and then I'll be okay for the day. Well, it's fine if the Bible teacher is heard from the Holy Spirit. But a lot of times these devotionals are mixed with a little bit of error, especially these days. I don't know what I would be reading. I'd have to really be praying and seeking the Lord. Because just a tiny bit of error can get you off, you know, two degrees. If a ship is going this way, if it goes off course two degrees, eventually two degrees makes it go very, very much off course. It doesn't start out that way, but it does. So don't use devotionals as your Bible reading. That's like taking a handful of vitamins and saying that's what I'm going to do for my nourishment all day. Read your Bible. Learn what the scriptures are saying for themselves. Get the revelation. If you read the Bible, you will get revelation. 
You know, there's too much false doctrine. Teach your children how to read the Bible. If you've got grandchildren, great-grandchildren. I found a great book for our kids. The ones that wanted them got a book. And it was a devotional. And I've never seen a Bible or a, a book like this. And it teaches our children they only have to read about five scriptures. And then it asks one question. But it's teaching them how, if they'll do it, and I told them in class, because we did the first week in about, probably about a half an hour, and it's teaching them how to read the Bible. Because, you know, it's intimidating when you look at the Bible and you say, you've got to read the Bible, you've got to have some direction for it. And especially when you're first starting to learn, a lot of people just start in Genesis. And maybe that's not a good place to start. Maybe you need to start in the book of John or something to learn about Jesus first. There's all kinds of Bible reading plans. There's some, I followed Bible reading plans where you read the Bible through in a year. Okay, admittedly, I skipped Leviticus because it was hard for me to get through there. I kind of sloughed off on some of those. But I read things that I wouldn't normally read because I had to follow the Bible reading plan. So I've done that twice. There's other plans that you can get that they're all over the Internet. You just have to put it in and, you know, go for a Bible reading plan. It's not a devotional. It just gives you scriptures to read. So let's see. So that's it about relationship. You know, that's all that reading the Bible is just about your relationship with God. It's not just a book. It's a living, it's the living word. I hate to say the word Bible story because then it kind of reduces it to a story. It's actually Bible history. It's not a story. It's not a fairy tale. It's real from cover to cover. So here we've got some reasons for unanswered prayers. In James 4, 2 through 4, I use the Amplified Bible. Um, You are jealous and covet what others have, and your lust goes unfulfilled, so you murder. You are envious and cannot obtain the object of your envy, so you fight and battle. You do not have because you do not ask it of God. You ask God for something and you do not receive it because you ask with wrong motives, out of selfishness or with unrighteous agenda. So that when you get what you want, you may spend it on your hedonistic desires. You adulteresses, disloyal sinners, flirting with the world and breaking your vow to God. Do you not know that being the world's friend, that is, loving the things of the world, is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Well, that's a pretty hard scripture. I think sometimes James was pretty straight. But here's some of the answers. James revealed some reasons for unanswered prayers. Okay? You don't pray, but you feel entitled for God to help you. How many people don't pray and they just feel that God's, God's entitled because we're kids of the king and that we're, you know, God's just going to pour everything out on us because he loves us so much. All right? Um, another reason for unanswered prayers, wrong motives. You know, you're asking for the wrong reason. Strife, jealousy, and covetousness. And being friends with and loving the world better than God. Are we like sassy? Do we just come to God just because we need something or we want something from him? 
You know, selfish desires are not God-directed, and God will not answer our selfish prayers. Selfish prayers are not God's will for us. It's what we want God to do. We may think we need a million dollars, and we may pray for it, but God knows we can't manage our money, and that amount of money would kill us. So his answer is no. Okay, sometimes we ask God for something that is going to destroy us. Sometimes we even pray our will and demand that God carry out what we want. You know, there's a lot of that going on. You know, we just command this to, you know, this shouldn't be. Well, you know, we need to find the will of God first before we pray. Confessing the word is important, but be careful that it's not, it's not, it's a confession and we're not ordering God to do something. Some of the things that I hear on television before I switch it off is that, you know, people are ordering God. And it's like, wow, you know, stand far away from that person who's ordering God. Don't order God to do something. You have to entreat God and go hum- go humbly before him. You don't tell God what to do. That's what got the devil in a lot of trouble, telling God that he was going to exalt himself above the will of God. You know, we may pray for a certain person to be our mate, but God knows that we're incompatible and that specific marital union would be disastrous. So he says no. Sometimes we don't, our emotions get a hold of us and we want things and we marry wrong or we do wrong or we get into a wrong job or we do something wrong because our emotions have led us into it. And then we're in a whole pile of trouble When God is saying, no, don't do that, stop, think. And it isn't, can God repair something? Yes, God. of course, God's in the reparation business because we've all made mistakes, right? We've all made mistakes because we went ahead of God. But God says no, and we must choose to obey him and break off the engagement and refuse to act on our desires, or we may turn a deaf ear to him and choose to be led by our emotions. We may have self-esteem issues and think that having a certain position in the church will give us notice and make us feel good about ourselves. So our prayers for God to make us a pastor, teacher, deacon, etc. And our secret desire is not to serve the people, but is to be worshipped by the people. It happens. And I'm not saying it's a sin to desire these things, because God puts desires in our heart. But if the motive is wrong then God's going to say no. Sometimes these desires in our heart, because we're immature, we want good things. But because we're immature, we're not ready for it yet. Somebody's called to be a pastor, but they go ahead before they're ready. They're going to have a disaster on their hands. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not saying that God, sometimes he says, wait. You know, you've got a teaching gift. And you want to get up there. I want to be just like Sister Pat. I want to teach. And you get up here and it's like, uh, maybe not right now. There's a lot of preparation that goes into things. You know, I want to play piano. Well, maybe you get up there and all you can play is chopsticks. Well, you're not ready yet. But it doesn't mean that God is saying absolutely no. What he's saying is, There's a process that you have to go through. You can't short-circuit the process. 
And a lot of times there's character issues where you're talking about the gifts of the Spirit versus the fruits of the Spirit. This morning, the fruits of the Spirit are developed by, those are character traits that are developed as you mature. You need a lot of character to be in leadership. You need a lot of character to be in position. Because sometimes things aren't going the way that you want them to go. You've got to know how to hold your tongue. You have to know how to walk with dignity. You have to know how to pray. You have to be able to see a bigger plan. Amen? You can destroy yourself and your calling by going out before God. But it doesn't mean that the desire is wrong. You may have a desire to be married. And you make a hasty decision because God put that desire in your heart. You know, I've got some 27-year-old friends that are just chomping at the bit. They want to be married. They want to be married. They're ready to be married. And it's like, slow down. You want the right man to come into your life. You don't want to just be married. You know, I was married and it was a wrong decision, but I jumped into it. Twice I jumped in to a wrong relationship. Because I wanted to be married. And didn't end up well because I jumped in. Of course, I wasn't saved. I guess that had a lot to do with it, too. But um, if I had waited, things maybe had been different. See, but you just don't know. Now, God makes lemonade out of lemons. We know that. But you know what? It's better to just not have to go through some of those things. Amen? His experience is a good teacher, but the tuition is high. And you want to listen. You know, there's nothing wrong with our desires. I'm telling you that because some of you, maybe you're feeling frustrated because there's a delay in what you want. But don't be frustrated. There's maybe things that you have to do or, or things that have to be put in position before you can receive the promise. So don't don't give up. He says pray and don't faint. In Luke 18, pray and don't faint. You know, he doesn't want, he wants you to have success. So he's not, you know, you're not going to give a kindergartner a key to your car. He's not going to give somebody who's not ready a position that they're not ready for because it will destroy them. But when the kindergartner grows up and they're 16 years old, then you give them the keys and you say, okay, now we're going to learn how to do this because now you're mentally and physically ready to do this. So you see, we, yeah, maybe. So, and James warns us that our lusts create selfish prayers and it causes us to be enemies of God. How? Because our friendship and our fondness for our lusts are the fruit of the pride that's in us. We often can't see it for ourselves and it takes the Holy Spirit to reveal it for us. And that's where, you know, God will reveal things to you, but God reveals it gently. When you're having prayer, and does it ever crush you when God reveals something to you? And he reveals it. He's so sweet the way he does it. And it's, it's far worse when God reveals something to you than somebody else who doesn't even care about you says something ugly to you. Because you can, like, forget that stuff. But God just has to say one or two words, and it's like, oh, wow, I'm so sorry. And he's so sweet about it. 
He's just so sweet about it, and he entreats us. There's no condemnation with him. You know, he'll just say one or two things and, and get you back on track. But if we ask God to show us the areas, he's faithful to do it. A lot of times we don't ask because we really don't care what God thinks. You know, that's the bottom line. We like the way we are, so we don't want to change. But we never ask God. And then you never get your prayers answered, and then you get frustrated, and then you get mad at God. But see, we have to be humble, and we have to ask God, you know, why, you know, what's inside of me that's causing, you know, why is it taking so long, and what is, what, what can I do to change? You know, if I offended anybody, what have I done? A lot of times, we could care less. Honest? No, none of you, right? Just me. Do you ever get in that place where you just don't care anymore and you don't want to hear what God says? And then you're headed for a little trip on, trip around the mountain until you get it right. Amen? Can anybody verify that? Am I the only one who's taken trip around the mountain one or two times that I didn't really need to take, but I really didn't care. I didn't want to hear it because I wanted to keep my pet problem whatever it was at the time. I wanted to keep it, and I didn't want to change. And, you know, well, just me. But many times we can't see ourselves without the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, and sometimes we hear it, we're sitting in church, and something rubs you the wrong way. Well, if it rubs you the wrong way, just sit and smile at the teacher And then go home and say, God, why did that rub me the wrong way? Amen? God will show you. (laughs) A definition of lust, a passionate or overmastering desire or craving for, or to have a yearning or desire, a strong or excessive craving. How does lust cause strife and unrest? Sometimes we will stop at nothing to get what we want. We will stop at absolutely nothing. Now all of you are smiling at me, so now I'm scared. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) You ever want something and you don't stop until you get it? We always see those commercials at Brahms. I said, we got to go to Brahms. I mean, now, and we just bought a little bigger television set. We had a 24-inch set. We decided we would splurge a little. We got a bigger one. It's like a 39-inch one. Now you can see that ice cream really big. And it's like, we have to go to Brahms. And they're pouring out that chocolate, and they're putting the nuts on it. And it's like, we have to go over there. And when I'm out, I stop at nothing. I will suggest to him that we should go to Brahms. Now, he's easily, when it's something, food, he's easily swayed with food. It's like, we have to do this. And he's like, okay. And since he's driving, he will just drive. And I will stop at nothing to get that Brahms that I saw on TV with the Hershey's, the golden things on it. And Now, translate that to your life. What will you stop at nothing so you can get that lust filled? And you're saying, we got to pray for the preacher's wife. She's addicted to ice cream. She lusts after it. 
All right, lust also causes you to justify your actions if you're not careful because you want that so bad. You're going to just do something. You're just going to do it. You don't care who you step on. You don't care who's in the way, but you're going to get that. And he says you lust. You know, and then you wonder why God's not answering prayers. Well, if you're like that and you're stopping at nothing to get that, God's not going to be pleased with that. God's going to just put a, you know, he's going to put a break on it. And he's going to just set it aside and say, all right, I'm going to wait till you come back to your senses. See, King David acted in lust. And what did God do? Was God pleased with him? He sent a prophet over. And David was so full of himself, he says, we're going to kill that man. You know, let's just have him killed. And he goes, that man is you. And a lot of times the Holy Spirit says, that person is you. And now we're a little more humble when the Holy Spirit says, that person is you. And it's like, oh. You know, and what did he say? Create in me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit in me. See, repentance always just takes you back. It always just puts you right back standing up again. You can fall seven times. You repent seven times and just get up and keep moving. Can't justify. If you justify your actions, sometimes judgment doesn't come right away. You know, sometimes because judgment doesn't come right away, we can deceive ourselves in thinking that it's never coming. Sometimes there's just the mercy of God why judgment doesn't come right away. Do you ever wonder, you know, some of the things going on in this world, and you say, why isn't judgment coming on that? What's the mercy of God? See, God is a multifaceted God. He's not all mercy. He's not all judgment. God's got wisdom that he uses judgment and he uses mercy and he uses grace. So I don't know why things happen. But sometimes in your life, thank God that the judgment's delayed. In my life, thank God that the judgment's delayed. Because God's trying to give us space to come back to our own, to our right minds. Right? Amen? Hey, this was in the book, okay? We had six lessons in here. I didn't have control when we decided we would do this. Like, I would just look and see what we were doing next week, just same as you. So it wasn't like we made these things up just so we could make you guys feel bad in your seats. Psalm 66:18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. For those of you who are sensitive to condemnation, if you feel condemned all the time, I want you to know that if you've asked God to forgive you and to forsake your sin and you really meant it, then you're forgiven. The hardest thing for anybody to do is to not feel guilty about something that they've really, really messed up on. It's hard to shake that. It's really hard to shake that. It's really hard to feel clean and washed But I'm telling you, if you've done it and you've repented for it, you're free. You're free. It doesn't matter what your emotions say. Because, you know, it'll try to bring you back. And I've got a ton of sermons on just the past and dealing with the past. And, you know, how we can't sit in condemnation. God's already forgiven you. So don't let 
unbelief that God has forgiven you. I mean, sometimes it seems like almost too good to be true, doesn't it? You really, really mess up on something, and then you ask God to forgive you, and he's He's forgiven you, and it's almost like it's too good to be true that there would be a God that would forgive me of that. And then we always sometimes feel like we're just little worms that we've got to walk around because we've done that terrible thing. And God doesn't want us to feel like that ever. You know, if you're sensitive in condemnation, you have to kick yourself every day and say, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that I have repented. Because sometimes you can get into your prayer closet and all all you can think of is your past mistakes. I mean, I've already told you about that with my kids. That's all I used to think about. And then God hit me aside the head and he goes, well, be a better mother now. You know, be a better wife now. Be a better friend now. You know, why are you always looking in the past? And I thought, well, I don't know why. It's just the way that my mind is in such a rut with that because I feel so guilty over these things. And he said, well, you can't. You know, and then he led me to John 15, of talking about the branches and the prunes. So once that branch is pruned off, it, it's dead. We can't get those years back. So we have to trust that God, when he says he's forgiven us, we have to learn how to forgive ourselves. And see, this is what happens a lot of times in prayer. We don't feel like we're worthy enough because of all the past mistakes that we've made. But we have to tell ourselves we're worthy. And at first it's going to feel kind of funny. Because you've got that little record in the back of your head saying, who are you? You're not worthy. You know, look at your kids aren't even serving God. You're a joke. No, I'm forgiven. That's what I am. That's what I'm. I'm forgiven. And guess what? My kids have a free will. And I guess what? I didn't get saved till I was 32. Hmm. Somebody prayed for me. So you keep praying for your kids and believing and don't give up. Pray and not faint. See, the devil caused you to faint. Give up. Say it'll never happen. You know, you're not going to get that. We've got to do something. Got to do something first. You've got to pray and believe and keep hang, hanging on and know that God is going to be there and he's going to answer the prayer. Amen. You know, thank you, and just say to yourself, Lord, I thank you that you hear me every time because I pray in faith. I pray in faith every time. You may not even believe it because that little record back there is telling you what a lousy person you are. But you keep saying that, and the confession of your mouth is going to make it a reality. I pray in faith every time. And I get tempted sometimes to think about my kids, and I say, no, up. The incorruptible seed of the word is on the inside of them, and that's going to grow as I water it. See, God was working with me because I was under such condemnation daily about my children. So don't let the devil hinder you and say, you haven't got this right, or you are unworthy, or you're not doing this, or you're not. It's not up to the devil to decide these things. See, God entreats us. God's gentle with us. When God corrects us, he's gentle. He's kind. He's loving. When the devil tries to correct us, he's mean and he's harsh and he brings up your past. That's how you know the difference. If you can't tell the difference between the Holy Spirit and the devil, he's mean and he's harsh. God's not mean and harsh. God doesn't say mean things. 
God entreats us. Now, he might say hard things. He might say things that are hard. But God just has a way about him, doesn't he? Where he can make even a hard thing seem doable. He can make us, he can bring us to our knees very easily by just a few words. And each of us are different in what we need. Some of us, we need to be slapped upside the head. Others, we just need to have a handout and being saying, come on, I know you didn't mean it. You know, it's like all those kids and children's and Sherry's grands and great-grands. Some of those kids, you just look at them and they're like, I'm so sorry. And then other ones, you have to be a little firmer with them. But it's all their personalities. And God, does God know your personality? Does he know how to talk to you? But he's never hard or harsh. So if you hear those hard and harsh things coming out of your mind and your will, then you know that it's the devil trying to get you to do something. He's trying to shame you or he's trying to condemn you. But it's not God doing it. That's the devil. It's not up to the devil to decide your future. It's not up to the devil to get you to repent. It's not up to the devil to get you to do anything. He's defeated in your life. The blood of Jesus and what God says is what gets you to do these things. And then it isn't get you to do it. It's you make a decision whether you're going to follow God or not. God says, choose for yourself this day. Choose. It's always a choice whether you're going to choose to obey God or you're going to choose to disobey. He's not cracking you with a whip. But he's trying to entreat you. He's trying to draw you. He's trying to get you to a different place. He's trying to get me to a different place. And that's what prayer is all about, is trying to get us somewhere where we're not right now. You know, another hindrance to our prayers are words. We can't say things that will cause the Holy Spirit to turn away from our desired results. In order for our words to be right, we need to renew our mind and conquer doubt and unbelief. If you've prayed for finances, don't say, I just don't know how we're going to make it after we pray. You know, if you've, it's time to be open for God. If you prayed for healing, don't negate it by, I sure hope God does something soon. Our words and our actions must be the same. Don't be a double-minded person that prays for one thing, says another thing, and does something entirely different. We've got to have everything line up. Don't be unstable. And don't be closed-minded either. I've prayed with people who needed a job. And I would say, well, have you considered this? Oh, no, no, I can't do that. I can't possibly do that. And it's like, well, you know, I don't know. Forget it then. If you're not going to try anything different than what you have now, then don't even bother praying if you're not going to be open-minded. I mean, who would have thought that we would be in Aubrey? God did. We never even heard of Aubrey a year ago. Sorry to tell you all that, but we never did. You know, he instructed Peter to go fishing and, and get a gold coin out of the mouth of a fish when they needed tax money. I mean, God's got thousands of different ways to solve a problem. He's very creative at solving problems. You know, I was reading something, I get a magazine, Answers in Genesis, about the eyeballs of a frog and how it helps them to jump. 
and I can't relate it right now, but it's like everything is so intelligent. Like the, the, the tongue of a woodpecker. Do you know that the tongue goes up into their, their head? And is that wild? I mean, the fact that it's sticky and it can stick its tongue down a tree thing and get bugs. I mean, everything. So God can solve problems in ways that you and I can't even think. But we have to be open-minded to it. See, sometimes we get stuck in such a way that we think God has to do it this way. And if God doesn't do it this way, we're not comfortable. Because then we may have to step out and do things a little different. And what if we don't fail? See, I do tell you, I told you, I think last week, I like the same things in the restaurant, maybe the week before. And I'm having to learn how to make my palate expand a little bit. Because I like a sure thing. I like to go to the restaurant and I like to eat something that I know I'm going to like. I don't like to waste food, waste money on food that I'm not sure of. Usually I'll or let him order something different and then I'll nibble on his plate and say, oh, that tastes good. Maybe I'll try that next time. But I want the sure thing. So if I am like that when I pray, I might miss God because sometimes God doesn't give you the sure thing the way you think that it should be done. So don't be close-minded when you pray because God's got many different ways to help you out of that situation that you're in. And God will use everything if you open up your mind and just obey him and listen to what he has to say. Is anyone among you suffering? This is in James 5, 13 through 18. Let him pray. Is anybody cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three and a half Years that did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Okay? It's a big passage. Number one, if we're afflicted, pray. Afflictions are being tormented, mean you're being tormented or troubled by the devil, spiritually, mentally, domestically. The problems that come against you personally. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Okay? Don't mope about it. Pray about it. Ask others to pray. God has given you the power through your own prayer life to pray. But if you need help, don't be afraid to ask other people for help because sometimes you do need help in prayer. You need somebody who's not going to condemn you, somebody who's not going to tell everybody about it, somebody who will just pray with you. Prayer is the responsibility of each believer so that they will mature spiritually as well as develop a deeper relationship with God. Look at some of the afflictions that you've been through and how it's drawn you closer to God just because you've, you've been driven to your knees to pray more. If we're happy, sing songs. Sing songs of praise. Does that make you happier when you're happy already and then you sing songs of praise? When sickness is present, pray for healing and wisdom. There are many ways that God will heal. There are many, many ways that God can heal. Just don't assume that God's going to do it one way. We may have sin in your life that blocks the manifestation of healing, but not always. 
I had somebody believe that, you know, every time you were sick, it was because of sin. And, you know, after a while, it gets kind of tiring to hear that. Because if you'd ask them to pray, it's like, you know, and undo the heavy burdens and, you know, forgive them of sin because they were sure because you were sick that you sinned. And it's like, well, I only have a cold and I really don't need prayer. Thank you, because you're going to pray. I, you know, I mean, we live in a sin soaked world. Let's just be honest about it. There's genetics involved. There's things involved. And if you're trying to find the root of something, unless God shows it to you, then leave it alone. If somebody's sick. Pray for them. But it may not because they sinned. You know, unless it's some kind of disease that they caught because they were sinning. And then, okay, well, now we can be reasonably sure that it's because of their sin. But a lot of times you get sick. It's the world we live in. And that's just part of it. It's nothing that, you know, you can be doing absolutely nothing, going around, minding your own business, and then you get hit with a sickness. And the last thing you need is somebody who's ignorant that tells you that that sickness is because of your sin. Has anybody else ever had that happen? How does that help you to feel better? You know, that person has a problem. They have a pharisaical attitude, and they need to repent. And not put condemnation on somebody who's asking for help with it. Because sickness happens. I mean, look at the food we're eating sometimes. It's like, yeah, I know we pray and we ask God. Anybody ever get food poisoning even after you prayed and asked God that you missed it? And God said, don't eat that. But you did anyways because you weren't paying attention. There's a lot of reasons why we get sick. But we get this one scripture where it says, and if there's sickness because of sin, you know, and now we've got a doctrine on that because, well, that's the only reason that you ever get sick. You know, the curse cause list doesn't come. So, you know, obviously you must have done something because we always have to try to figure things out in our busy little minds, figure things out. Well, why are, I wonder why they're afflicted like that. Well, be a friend and pray for him, would you? You know, don't don't be condemning. They already feel bad enough as it is, and they're trying to muddle through. They don't feel good. And then you're just sending out those things and vibes. And, you know, and then you go get on the phone and say, well, you know, they must have sinned real bad. They've got this on there. Not any of you, of course. Anytime we pray, we face problems, pray fervently. Don't quit until you get the satisfaction that God answers our cry. In the Bible we just read, Elijah was a man of like passions. The first mention of Elijah is 1 Kings 17. He just enters Bible history. You know, there it is. And Elijah the Tishbite just enters in casually, very casually. He enters without fanfare, but his entrance is critical. He shows us that a human being has feelings and emotions. And if you read the whole story of Elijah, there's times that he felt sorry for himself. There's times that he got depressed. And it didn't, God, it didn't phase God. God didn't say, you're depressed, so I can't use you. Go back and read the story of it. It's very interesting. You know, it, he had weaknesses. And yet... You know, all right, he prayed earnestly for the rain, and then he prayed again and it rained, even though one time he sat under a tree, was so depressed he wanted to die. But you know what? Spiritual 
when you've done, he just did this great spiritual victory thing. The time when you're most vulnerable is after that, because believe me, it takes a lot of energy. And you're tired, and you're maybe not on your guard. Elijah was a human being. We all have our moments of spiritual doubt, exhaustion. The keys to Elijah's great victories is that he prayed earnestly. He was focused and zealous and serious, and he didn't let the moments of weakness render him ineffective. You know, he even told God, I'm the only one. Well, that was pitiful. You know, I'm the only one. Have you ever felt like I'm the only one who ever, you know, and God said, no, you're not the only one, Elijah. I've got 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. But he was pitiful. I mean, it was pitiful. But did God just shut him off? No, they had a relationship. He was able to redirect Elijah. And we say pitiful things to God all the time. And he redirects us and he shows us and he goes, no, no, that's not right. Look here in my word and look at here and see this. So he wasn't a victim. Elijah wasn't content to passively pray and just say whatever happened is God's will. He just prayed fervently until he got the mind of God. And see, some people are trying to stop storms and trying to do things that God is saying, I'm not into that. You can pray like that, but I'm not going to answer that prayer. I read a story a long time ago, and I can't give you the whole story, but I can just give you the gist of it. Was this little community had a storm coming, and they prayed for it to stop. It stopped. Miraculously, it stopped. Well, next year they had a drought because the storm stopped. See, sometimes storms bring in problems, but they also bring blessings. So we can't. If we're going to interfere with the weather, and I know that, you know, we use this, bro, he prayed for, you know, and rain stopped, and, you know, we can direct the storms, and we can do this. You can do that if it's the will of God. It better be the will of God. If you say to this mountain, be thou removed, and you're standing in front of Mount Everest, where is that mountain going? Now, where would you like it relocated? And what are you going to do if other people are praying different ways for the same mountain? You better have the mind of God on these things. Now, if God gives you the mind of God, like he did here with Elijah in the rain, then you better pray it like that, because that's the will of God. And you can be assured that it's going to be answered. Just the way Elijah did for three and a half years, they had no rain. Okay, let it be God-directed. Okay. So in conclusion, see, and I just made, I thought I was being, I cut this down like you wouldn't believe. And you guys can all say hallelujah to that. Because we could have had a 12-week course instead of you sitting here suffering for six weeks. Amen? But I just, I cut and sliced and I said, well, this was good, and I got, oh, no. And when it came down to the final edit, now I still had to skip a couple of pages because I'm looking at the time, and I don't want to keep you. But in conclusion, the heart of God is to have fellowship with us and others. We can pray for others and help bring others back to right relationship with God. And this is what the conclusion is in James 5:19 through 20. My brothers, if anyone among you 
wanders from the truth and somebody brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And that's the gist of the gospel. That's the gist of the book of James is that we want to bring a wandering person back to the Lord. And that's why our prayer life is important. That's why our words are important. That's why having wisdom is important. All the things that we've learned the last six weeks, that's why these things are important. It's a practical guide that God is showing us how to live in this world but not be of this world. How to live in it but not be contaminated with it. So we're going to bring our sinners back. Did you get on the piano, honey? Well, thank you. You are one of my biggest encouragements there. (laughs) Let's just bow our head because I just want to pray a blessing over you. Father God, we thank you for each and every person in this room. Father, we thank you for those who who deal with serious condemnation. Father, those who, who deal with guilt, those who deal with fear. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that by the gentle prodding of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would just take each and every person, Lord, and anything that that has been a a habitual thing. I want to pray for those that are really just super condemned by, by guilty feelings of the past. Father God, we are thanking you. We just take authority over all that guilt, Father, that you just can't repent enough. It just seems like you just can't repent enough and be sorry enough. Father, I speak to every person who's dealing with that, and they feel like they just can't do enough. They can't be sorry enough. I just speak, Father God, and we just pray the blood of Jesus over each person, over their mind, their will, their emotions. Father, that you would bring them to that place of peace. Father, that they would just let go of the past, just let go of that past. And, Father God, that they would be free, free to sit down and that they would hear from you. And, Father God, for each one that sits down and is is looking at a problem and they can't, they just want you to do it their way. Father, I thank you that today that our minds are open to receive and to see a different way of doing things. Because, God, we want your best. We want your best, Lord. We just thank you, Father. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, for each and every person in here. We thank you, Father, for answered prayer. And I just want to tell you, you can look up now. Just one more thing. Go look in our offices. I can tell you that now. Because that was answered prayer. I sat in the office a couple of weeks ago. I think I told you I painted the desk and we'd gotten that file cabinet out from World War II because it was heavy. <laughs> and um, I was sitting in the office after I painted that desk, just the front of it, not the back of it, because Sherry and I are the only ones that see the back of it. And I said, Lord, I, this, this office needs help and I can't do it. You didn't know I prayed. But I said, I, this office needs help because it's, it just needs help, Lord. <laughs> a couple 
days later, it wasn't too much long after that, help came. And you don't even know it's so much different. A lot of the things were just rearranged. It was stuff that we had. It wasn't that, you know, ooh, you spent a lot of money. We didn't actually spend anything, although I know they did. But it's rearranging different things. It was taking a mirror and just putting it in a different place. It was taking some chairs out and putting some chairs in that were in the hall. It was just doing some little things. And see, this is, I said, God, it's a perfect illustration for tonight because that's what God does with our lives. He takes things and he goes, oh, that chair, that doesn't belong there anymore. Let's just take that out and we'll put this in and we'll put some things on the wall. And you ought to see her work, too. Like, I I don't know how you can keep up with her because her, her mind, you talk about a busy mind. It's like I have to go home and rest just, you know, 10 minutes. She's just putting things up and what what do you think and how do you do? And, you know, she's got things over there and it's like, whoa, well, we need this and we need that. But I mean, boom, 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 boom. Well, that thing got rearranged within the space of two weeks. And I I invite you because I couldn't say anything before that, but now I think we're done. And if you've ever seen the if you've ever been into the offices before and you see them now, you're going to say it's not the same place. But see, it takes somebody with an open mind to say, okay, you know, do something. And she knew, you know, that window in the back was just, things were driving me crazy. But I didn't have, I don't have that in me to do that. And see, you have to open up and say, okay, you know, and God is like the Holy, God, God is the Holy Spirit. And see, God kind of used Rita like the Holy Spirit. In this, and I'm not saying, you know, don't please don't go out here saying Rita's the Holy Spirit. But I'm just saying in this illustration, can we just can you just go with me on this, okay? Because she came in and she rearranged things and she put things in order and she got other things out and it's a whole different room. Go back there and look, and if you've ever been in there, you're gonna be amazed at what God did through the hands of a willing servant. Amen. You know, and I'm not saying that to elevate, but you know what? We need to give credit where credit is due. Yes, yes. Thank you. God is sending in gifted people in every area. Praise the Lord. You know, and sometimes we just say, well, you know, why isn't God doing this? And he's, he's doing it. He's doing it. You know, sometimes things just take time. But go in and see that. You'll be blown away. I guarantee you, you will be blown away. Go into my office or the secretary's office, that first office, and then go into the pastor's office. You're going to be blown away because it does not, it, it's not your grandpa's office anymore. I'm sorry. But, um, and I don't mean that in an ugly way, but I'm just telling you that it's not the same anymore. And see, that's what God wants to do with your lives. He wants to make it so, you know, you can kind of tell that it used to be. But that's what he wants to do. He wants to change us. Are you willing to be changed? Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. Don't put God in a box. Let him change you. Be open-minded. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.
know, if you have something you need from God right now, you can receive it. She preached a prayer, a message on prayer, taught a message on prayer. And all we have to do is release our faith in the Lord. Could we sing that together tonight? Oh, how faith in God. Oh, how faith in God. Have faith in God for deliverance. Have faith in. If you need something special, just lift your hand and just receive it right now. Oh, have faith in God. Have faith in God for deliverance. Have faith in God. Father, we thank You that we can receive. Thank You, Lord, that You made provisions for everything in our lives spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, Lord. Every need is supplied according to Your riches and glory. And Father, we thank You that we have it. God, You've given us instructions in the Word on how to receive it. And Lord, we do that in Jesus' name. And we just give You glory for it. Amen. 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 I challenge you to... Set a new schedule for your prayer time, your study of the Word. Listen, the Word is food for you. And, you know, set a, set a set time. You know, she talks about me. I mean, of course, I write books, and and um, I'm, I'm sometimes I'll get up at 2 in the morning, work till 5.30, and go back to bed for a couple of hours, get up and write some more and, and do that. But I don't do that as much now since we're up here pastoring, but... <laughs> But uh, but you know it, it, you you just got to get you got to flow with the Lord, Amen. And the best thing to do is just get in that place with God. Find that comfortable place. Pray. Seek the Lord. God will meet you there, Amen. Have a meeting place. You know Moses had a meeting place with God. Joshua got to go with him to that meeting place. And we need a meeting place with the Lord, and just let God just minister to us in that meeting place, Amen. Let's stand our feet tonight. Thank God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody need prayer for anything special before we leave tonight? Praise God. Anybody receive what you needed by the Word? The Word the word will bring healing and health. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Well, we're so happy that all of you came. Let Pat know you appreciate her teaching. Listen, she's a great teacher. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Praise God. Of course, she's got a good professor over her too, you know. <laughs> Hallelujah.
Praise God. Well, let's just bow our heads before the Lord tonight. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Sister Claudine, could you dismiss us in prayer tonight? Amen, amen, amen. Well, God bless you. We'll see you all Wednesday night at uh, 6.30. (laughs) I got that right tonight.